Hello and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in insurance and insurtech, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. For season two of the podcast, we decided to focus purely on inspiring female technology leaders, all focused on insurance and insurtech, exploring their journeys today, understanding more about what they love about technology and insurance, discussing their thoughts on how we can get more talented females into the sector, as well as much, much more. In this episode, I bring you Janthana Kayan Prakamroy, who is the CEO and founder of Tapley, an award-winning insurtech which supports the gig economy. Janthana is generally one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. Originally from Thailand, she moved to Sweden when she was young and later came to the UK to study. Having started her career in audit within the banking space, she spotted an opportunity to start her own business, solving a problem that she encountered when trying to actually insure her own rental property. Six years later, she's won countless awards and has a business now entering scale-up mode. Janthana's story is genuinely incredible and her insight in how she did it is truly an inspiring story. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Janthana Kayan Prakamoy. Janthana, welcome to Behind the Desk. As uh, as you know, this is season two of the podcast. So welcome and, and happy to have you as a, a guest on our, our new series that's all about women in technology. Um, for those of you that don't know, Janthana is the CEO and founder of a company called Tapley, which is in the insurtech space, and we'll find out about it in a minute. But, um, but yeah, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Brilliant. Great to have you. Um, so, so look, you I mean, as a starting point, I'm sure lots of people listening will, will know about your company already. Certainly uh, have won lots of awards recently, which I'm really keen to hear about. But in your own words, what, what t- tell us about the business, what you what you guys do and uh, and how it came about. Tapley is an insurtech platform based here in the UK. We've been around since 2016. And when we first started, we were one of the first few on-demand insurtech provider for the gig economy. Um, The company, you know, like came about at the back of my own personal experience where I was trying to find insurance for my Airbnb letting, um, which I couldn't find anything in the market at the time. So that's how I discovered the market gap. And my experience kind of pushed me into building my own uh, company to service this market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite a big step as well. So, so I mean, obviously, I've, I've checked out your background. You, you were in banking before that, but um, t- tell us a bit about that that transition because were you, were you already in a role and, and and pretty happy doing what you were doing when you had the the, the, the idea of uh, of getting into insurance? I've always wanted to run my own business since right. I was young, but I didn't know what I could do. And I think you know, it take a good idea yeah. and um, a bit of self-determination and also knowing that now you're ready. I think yeah. that that's how I started it. When I first started, I was in fear, to be honest. I wasn't sure whether the business would take off. I wasn't sure whether I was good enough, I was ready enough. But as you started, you find your way. And that's basically how, I, how uh, we get to be where we are today. And I never would have thought that we would, you know, be good enough to win an award. Certainly not. But now that we've done it, I know that it's possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds uh, really, I mean, I think that's a fairly common thing, isn't it? The main reason people don't uh, start up on their own is just that 
constant kind of worry that maybe they're not them, then they're not quite as good as they think they are, or that imposter syndrome type stuff. So, so look, I'm sure we'll go into that in a, a, a lot more detail about the business and what's going on there at the moment. But uh, I want to go right back to the start then. So, so t- tell me about Janthana. Uh, growing up and uh, and how you got into uh, the technology space and, and your career to date. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, my background, to be honest, is not what people would expect. I was an immigrant. I moved from Thailand to Sweden when I was a teenager, I would say. And my um, I have a very humble start. My family background was uh, pretty humble and... You know, we live in one of the most remote village and in, you know, like one of the poorest part of Thailand. That's yeah. where I came from to, you know, like being in the uh, Stockholm, um, the capital of Sweden. Mm. Um, so I kind of moving from the jungle into the forest, I would say, you know, like uh, I yeah. grew up uh, in the middle of the forest where my nearest neighbor was several, you know, like kind of meters or several kilometers away from uh, from me. And, and that's how I kind of grew up in those, you know, like two environment. And I've, I've learned a great deal uh, from the experience of moving, taking risks, and certainly it brings a lot of challenges. Being poor in Thailand were not easy, and being a foreigner in Sweden was not easy. So I think, you know, like I, by the time I, you know, kind of graduated from high school, I was pretty much equipped to deal with any type of challenges the world could potentially throw at me. Um, so I came to London to, uh, in 2020 with £300 in my pocket. That's all I've got. And I thought it would probably you not know, last me two weeks if I'm cautious with my spending. And, and it's lost me over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what... what um... What was the catalyst for you moving from Thailand to Sweden in the first place? Was that and, and, and did you go there for school or something like that? Was that the? Um, it's family. I was wow. fortunate um, that my mother, you know, got a permanent uh, residential status. She got a working visa, which wow. allow us to move with her at the time. So that kind of helped, you know, us. Um, I was able to get uh, a proper education and. Uh, good enough support for me to be able to cash out with everyone else. So then, so what was the? So how old were you? So you you, you moved to Sweden, did education in Sweden, and then when when did you come to the UK? I was in my early twenties when I came to the UK. So yes, and when I moved to Sweden, I was in my teen. So I was thirteen, I think, when I moved to Sweden. Yeah. So yeah, so you were kind of ten years or so, give or take, in, in Sweden and then yeah. the UK. So t- so what what was your what was the first job? So did you go to uni- did you do university and all that kind of stuff? And then and then and then what was the first kind of move into uh, into to kind of full time paid work? I came here to study English. I didn't expect to be able to get into university so soon. Um, yeah. But within six months, I passed all my exam, which you know, like from. Um, beginners to intermediary straight away and it was unexpected because I didn't expect me to pick up you know another language so quickly and so soon while I was at university I didn't have enough funding to be able to support myself during that period without getting uh, jobs so I have several jobs I was working nearly as much as sometimes five six days a week um, part-time on a part-time basis um, but every day I will have some job lined up just to make sure that I've got enough, you know, kind of money to support my studies. 
And so I don't think I've been without a job since I graduated from high school because I've constantly been working um, throughout. Um, and when I graduated from university, I didn't expect to be so lucky to get a job either. And I got a job lined up before I even graduated. So that's, again, you know, kind of sketched me into that financial industry. So my first job, I was working for an asset management firm. And then from there, I moved into investment banking and I stayed in investment banking for pretty much my entire career. Yeah. So uh, so, so you did investment banking. Um, how did you find that? I, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't have any plan. Uh, in my younger, you know, year, I never really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I just in that self-discovery and I was in that mood for quite some time. Not until I was, you know, kind of toward the end of um, or a couple of years um, before I started Taply where I felt like um, I want to have a plan now. You know, I want an exit strategy um, from investment banks. Um, and I thought, you know, like doing what I want and love would be great. You know, I want to be happy going to work every day. I want to experience more challenges in life as if I don't already have enough. <laughs> so um, I thought, you know, like uh, now I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to take the next challenge. And um, running your own company was one of the things that I always wanted to do before I die. Um, and that's how you know Tapley came about. So, so when you were in investment banking, were you were you in uh, were you involved in technology at all there, or was that was that more no. of a business facing role? Tell, tell me a bit about that. Um, I was in internal audit department, okay. and um, I'm you know chartered accountant by profession. And as part of business auditor, I focus on three key area, which is the technology, people, and process. So pretty much, you know, kind of, and regulation, the whole day-to-day operation of a business fall within my remit and my responsibility. So I'm covering that uh, day-to-day from the audit, you know, kind of uh, perspective. So I know a great deal about um, how to run a regulatory business, how to set it up, the whole kind of system, people, process, how that kind of joined up and how to adhere to all the uh, FCA and PRA regulations. But then obviously going into a business that, that is, is, is built on technology and mm-hmm. is, it's got te- technology at its forefront, was how, how did you find that jump? Like, I mean, obviously, I, I, did you, um, because it's you and one other person that you found yeah. the business through, is that right? Um, how did um, that come about? I think um, to, set it, to set up uh, a company initially was not much of a stretch. And to know how to deploy technology in the insurance space was not a stretch because I already come from the, you know, kind of business um, financial uh, sector. So I know roughly, you know, what type of technologies out there, how we use them, what uh, best practice look like in terms of running a business, what lean operation means, what's, you know, like the uh, uh, risk and um, the opportunity within the uh, kind of financial sector. So I know a great deal before I left my job. What I didn't know is is the kind of the whole insurance and how Tapley could fit into that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was, you know, something that we, we need to uh, um, get more clarity on. And we use Accelerator Program to help us that, you know, to help us understand this is what we wanted to build. Where are we in the value change? And how we can fit into that, what our value proposition will be at the end of it, and how we sell our value proposition, how we add 
our value to um, the whole industry. So that's the bit that we basically, you know, like uh, need some help with at the beginning. But we've been very good in positioning ourselves in the right market and have the right value proposition, even when our hybrid model uh, approach is still very relevant today. Um, I don't, to be honest, I have made few mistakes, but um, most mistakes we learn so much from it that I don't feel like it's a regret. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally make sense. You mean, and uh, and look, it must be uh, quite daunting going into a, a sector um, when you when you mean, admittedly, been in financial services, but insurance is obviously slightly different, and uh, and and doing it um, completely kind of with on, on yourself and starting something new must be must be daunting. Um, so where, where is, where's the business? Let's move this on to talk about the uh, Tapley now. Um, where, where are you? Where's the business at at the moment, and um, and what's the what's the kind of ambition for the future? Um, obviously, we are in the um, scale stage where we need to accelerate, you know, and we are raising money to support that growth as we speak. We've got uh, customers in different parts of the world. Uh, some project, you know, like uh, hasn't gone as well as we thought during COVID, but now it's picked up again. So we get more traction now than we were two years ago. And certainly there's a lot of opportunity there now. Uh, some of the projects that we are doing uh, is extremely exciting and um, is Big ticket. We basically uh, gone from uh, working with a smaller project to a much much larger, bigger project. But the issue that we have now is that now we need longer uh, runway. <laughs> now that our uh, you know like project yeah, usually would take a couple of weeks or months to complete. Now it could take you know like over a year to complete. So that is uh, some um, certainly you know like I as a CEO need to find uh, a funding gap. For that period, mm. yeah, 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 I understand. Um, and what, what's your what's your kind of ambition for the future? What what does uh, what does the kind of the the business look like in in kind of four or five years time? We have always put ourselves or set ourselves to be the um, on-demand insurance provider. Yeah. For the gig economy, so that's our focus will still be on that. Now, in terms of our technology solution, what is enable is enable the on-demand insurance, embedded insurance or usage-based insurance concept to be realized. Because a lot of insurance companies want to be in our space, but some are not ready. Some doesn't have the kind of, you know, like technology solution. Some basically may have some risk appetite, but they need to be convinced. So we are here to stimulate that market. And the end game is to bring this on-demand and user-based insurance to the public, to all the consumer out there that desperately need our insurance products. Yeah, and and so I mean, I guess t- taking it onto the wider insurance space now. I mean, look, having having been in the space for four or five years or so now, starting in banking. What, what do you what do you see is the the, the I mean we're, we're in this period at the moment where there's lots of change going on uh, especially off the back of COVID as you pointed out what do you see as the biggest challenges in the in, in the insurance space at the moment what what are you what are you seeing from your perspective um, I think coming from you know kind of um, early stage uh, company or small uh, size company um, we have several challenges one you know like from the kind of revenue side. Um, in the last two years, I'm not going to say that we haven't been impacted. 
although our operations is more or less, you know, like the same as before COVID, but our customer, you see less, you know, fewer customer renewing their policy because their business has been impacted and been dormant during this time. But we see, you know, like more renewal now and people coming back to our platform now that their business is progressing and um, coming back to uh, normal. The other part is the investment side. I know that during the last two years, many investors, early stage investors, have either stopped investing because they see a lot of startups having to close down during this pandemic period. Um, some of our competition have been knocked out of the competition because they haven't been able to sustain the, the business because it's very, very costly to run an insure tech company. And if, you know, like you have a high number of staff before COVID and when COVID hits you and if you are in that business uh, a market where your uh, customer are massively impacted by the whole COVID, you're going to not having much revenue during that time and how, you know, if you're a small company, you may have a runway of what, 12 months, 18 months, but it's been over two years. COVID have impacted us for over two years. So a lot of our competitions have either have to close their business down or some that are doing well now, they have managed to raise a lot of money because there is always a winner and loser in, in, you know, like in any economic, there are some startups uh, who uh, have, you know, like right value proposition for the COVID and they were able to accelerate. But then there are other who, you know, their um, customers are so heavily impacted that is, um, yes, that they have to close their business down. Yeah, yeah. So do, do you think that, um, it, it, I mean, obviously there's, uh, I was actually at the InsureTech Insights uh, com- conference uh, a few a few months back now, um, and, and, and it just seems like the actual number of InsureTech businesses out there and the n- new startups is, is, is kind of really big, and obviously not everyone can be successful. So how, how do you see that kind of evolve in the sector evolving? I mean, there's, uh, there seems to be lots of people that are trying to, to change a, um, a sector that, that, that drastically needs innovation and uh, modernization. So do you, do you think that will continue or do you, do you see the kind of investment thing being a hindrance to people being able to progress that? I think it will continue. The number will rise, no doubt. It's not going to go below what we now have, but um, the barrier of entry is increasing because we've got two hurdles here. We've got hard market, which you know, like prevents some of the early um, stage company to get into our space. Yeah. This is not a market for beginners. This is market for people who have been here, done that, have made those mistakes, have got all those connections, have proven their business. So this is where it is now. Um, now, from the investment side, of course, although they're, you know, they may invest in early stage company, that, but most VC would be more inclined to invest in existing business who have been around, who've got you know, like, uh, proven and have track record of running their business. And, and and what do you see? Um, you mean with the insurance space as a whole, just a, a, a kind of a general term. I mean, how, how do you see the sector changing over the over the next kind of five, ten years or so? I, I always ask people this question on the podcast and get some. Uh, they're they're always really different answers. So I'm, I'm always kind of interested to see 
different perceptions of where the, where the sector is going to evolve and uh, and what the biggest kind of hurdles will be over the next few years or so. I think from the kind of technology implementation perspective, I think um, you will see more digital platform. So the whole commercial liability product will turn into digital. The very same thing you see in the personal line space where people are buying their insurance online. But I think certainly with the AI, with the uh, big data that we are currently collecting in five years' time, I think a lot of the uh, court process could be completely automated. And that automation would then feed into other part of the uh, insurance value change. Because at the moment, we can't automate end-to-end process because, first of all, we've got, you know, several, every, we've got too many players in the value chain and each player will have their own uh, systems, legacy system or new system that are not joined up. So, you know, over time, I think there will be more marketplaces, there will be more joined up platform that allow people to um, transfer data digitally from one partner to another. And that's when you will see more of a... Um, automation happening across the value change. So look, I, I guess I'm, I, I want to move this on now just to talk a bit about, um, so as I say, the, the, the theme or the topic of this podcast series is all about uh, women in, in, in insurance and insurtech. Uh, diversity in the sector is, is obviously a, a, a big topic at the moment. I, I just want, I guess, keen to find out from people what, what your journey's been like. What, 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 how have you found it being, uh, being a, a female in, in uh, what is... Uh, historically quite a male-dominated sector. How, how have you found it and what's your journey been like today? I think being a founder generally is very tough. Being female founder, I think, is add additional layer of challenge to it. Mostly, I think, from the networking and building relationship perspective, it's harder for female founder to do it because, you know, like most male founders, they probably... The culture is that, you know, like you go out and you drink. You have late now and that's how you do business. But with female founder, it may not be to the same extent. Um, so we've kind of missed out on the opportunity of being part of the uh, the crowd and the group. But certainly the COVID and the ability to be able to meet people virtually and everyone working from home and not having that drinking culture does help its level playing field for us to operate in the same manner now because otherwise you know men they meet up during weekday they go and drink they call their friends and that's how they you know kind of build the network and ecosystem and people work with people that they know and they trust and that they can relate to but if you're not part of the group there is no chance for you to to get uh, make that connection to start that's an interesting one, actually, because uh, I've never really thought of that. Actually, I mean, even even in my industry, uh, at first, the COVID thing was 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 always it was it was a bit of an unknown. Like, I mean, how how are we going to do business with people? Or how are we going to meet people and stuff? Like that? Because video technology was, was out there, but but people weren't really using it anywhere near to the extent that they are now. Um, Whereas now I think that's kind of replaced the phone call, isn't it? People don't really do phone calls quite so much anymore. It's just all on video. So so what you're saying is you found that as to be a bit of a leveller um, in, in, in the sense that it, it, it allowed you to, that those kind of extracurricular type conversations that were in pubs or bars weren't happening as much. So therefore it kind of brought, brought you mm-hmm. up to a level, which is really interesting actually. I mean, do, do you think that has, has kind of changed the space forever? Or do you think now we're, we're kind of, 
kind of semi going back to normal certainly seems that way in the UK um that will go back to that kind of thing or do you think that's that's now leveled it up at least a bit for 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 the long term um I think the trend will continue it would be more common for us to do business this way um I think you know like the drinking culture well um it will not disappear because it's a good way to network you know I think it's fantastic way for people to relax and talk um, and get to know each other, certainly. But it kind of bring uh, opportunity for us to um, catch up, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I see what you mean. So no, hopefully starts kind of evening out. But so, and, and what do you think? Um, so, so be, being a female in the space, and, and obviously, you, I guess you've seen it in banking as well. What, what do you think the the, the, the biggest kind of challenges insurance has got uh, in, in order to get more people, uh, especially more women, not just into insurance, but but in, insurance and technology? Because I mean, as you know, I, I, that's pretty much the, exclusively what I do, and, and and actually, there's there's no doubt about it that finding more women at, at the, the kind of grassroots level is, is how you solve the problem. Um, the, the, there's just not enough women to go around for everybody to have the, the, an, an equal balance. So what, what, do you, what, do you think that, what do you think the biggest challenges are and what, what are your thoughts on kind of what needs to be done to, to kind of rectify that? Um, I think there's kind of, you know, like threefold. So yeah. there's the culture barrier, there's a the value, and there's the uh, remote working a lot of women after a certain age, when they started to have their um, family, they may have the need to reduce the number of hours that they have to work in the office. So flexible working hours, part-time work, workers, essential if you wanted to attract more female in this space. Um, it's it just having that flexibility for them to be able to uh, manage their life and work balance. Yeah. Yes, that's the, the part. The culture, what I'm trying to, uh, the culture is obviously, you know, in uh, financial industry, the culture is very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's, um, as a woman, I prefer building relationship. I prefer, you know, kind of collaboration. I don't like the kind of very hard competitions and that is not my culture. Um, my culture is to add value, not to extract and being you know, selfish about doing my business. It's not about what I can get out of the deal. It's about what I can contribute. I, certainly, there's certain, like, that is basically the value part, the value and the culture part that um, many women, I think, after a certain number of years in the business, will drain themselves if they don't keep up. And that's why, you know, that's more likely that we would try to get out of the job that have that kind of culture that we felt like we are not happy with and that we do something. And um, I can prove this concept, you know, what I just said. If you look at the ESG space and the number of female founders in that space where, you know, it's all about caring about the world, caring about people, it's all led by women because we care about those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not like, you know, like, um, I want to get money and I want to get it quickly and as much as possible. That's not the culture. Certainly, you know, like having that balance between the right culture to allow people to work um, and also feeling like they have their value in the right places. Because we were having this discussion actually yesterday as a prep of one of the conferences coming up and we were talking about culture and value. And I say, look, you know, at this stage in my life, I want to do what I love. And it has to be, whatever I do, it has to be aligned to my core value. 
because if it's not aligned to my core value, I'm not going to be happy. I don't want to be doing something that would make me unhappy. So that's basically why, you know, you see when women get to a certain age, we start thinking about other aspects in life. Happiness is so important, right? Uh, family, yes, for those who have you know, children, they would be focusing on those yeah, and I mean, it's interesting you say it, actually, because I, I mean, funnily enough, I was talking to someone yesterday about a similar topic, and and actually, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think I think more men are thinking like that now than than, than they probably were before COVID. Um, I, I certainly know. You mean I, I, I've got a two year old daughter. I, I had her one month into lockdown, um, and. Um, my mindset now I've got a, a daughter um, before I was in the office at eight o'clock going home at eight eight nine o'clock or even later and and I, and I wasn't really worried about anything else because that was just I was focused on on doing that um whereas now it the, the time around your family having having I think it, people were always conscious of it before but because now they they've had it and and therefore they they realize how important that is so uh, hopefully that will even it that will make it easier for yeah. because if more men are thinking that way than it even does. Yeah. I, I think, you know, like you just make a great point there, Mark, that, you know, like it's not uh, gender specific how we feel about it. It's just where we are in our life. You know, like you start at the beginning, we um, jeopardize our time just to save and make money. And uh, once you've got that, you know, experience and money, you think about other things that is more important. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. a really good word. And, yeah. and you're, you're right. I think I'm not promoting women in tech for our own sake, but also for yours, because there are millions of men out there who also want to prioritize family and work-life balance, and they want to be able to do that. But in order for them to be able to do that, we're going to need more women in that space to help out, you know, like the whole um, uh, a, a working because we need workforce to to replace that. So I think this is one of the encourage uh, one of the uh, encouragement from all the men to see it from our point. We're not doing it because we want to take away men's job, but we're doing it to help you to to bring additional incomes so that we can support the family. Yeah, that's an amazing way of thinking. I've never I've never thought about that, but it is almost like the. You mean at the end of the day, there's, there's still X amount of hours work that needs to be done, yeah. and, and actually, if, I don't know, seventy-five percent of it, random made-up number, but um, is, is done by men. Then, then yeah. you, and, and men are going to step back. Then you, you still need to fill those hours of work. So it's a facilitated thing. So yeah, that's a really, really good way. I think I've never really thought about that. Um, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, I, I certainly think the. Um, the flexibility thing is huge. Like I, I, my, my wife uh, wants to work and is really good at her job and work kind of stuff, but she 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 ultimately looks after our daughter, and needs that flexibility, and j- just like I do actually as well, a, a little bit more. So that for me is if there's one kind of positive to come out of the the COVID kind of scenario, which is obviously bad in most ways, but um, it, the, that flexibility and the, the the kind of awakening to what is possible around. Uh, flexible working is 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 huge um i still don't think we've quite got it right yet like I, I, everyone's still kind of figuring out what that looks like and everyone seems to have a different view but i'd imagine we end up somewhere in the middle because uh people still want to be in the office still want to be at home but you just don't want to be dictated when it when it is and, and, and what it must be every single day so yeah i'd be interested to see how that pans out but um from your perspective i mean um there there's there's probably two questions here but 
What, what advice would you give to uh, to young women, or, or it doesn't necessarily need to be young women, but um, women that are in, in technology at the moment or thinking about getting into technology, um, or, or equally, uh, I mean, I know you didn't start your career in technology and you've evolved into that. So what, what advice would you give um, to, to, to people starting out or who are wanting to, 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 get, to get involved in, in that kind of space more so now? For those who want to get into it, just get into it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you know like just make no excuse just do it and then you will get there because when I started I I didn't really know how but once you you know just jump right in and you find your way and that's what entrepreneurship is all about is about solving problems finding out you know like what you need to do on a daily basis and you will if you are um, if you want to be entrepreneur that's the best way it's like that's how my father taught me how to swim is to throw me into the sea. He literally <laughs> threw me into the big, massive sea and expected me to get back to the shore by myself. And I did. Yeah. So that, that's how entrepreneurship is like. Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and, and what you mean, and, and Tristan, we're kind of going backwards a bit now. It's just come to me. But what, what you mean, most of the people that I've interviewed on the podcast so far, to be honest, have worked for bigger carriers and, and, and uh, less so for, for startups. But um, from your perspective, you mean, what what are the what are the biggest what have been the biggest hurdles for you as, as doing that? You I mean obviously it's it was it's been challenging, I'm sure. But what are the what are the biggest hurdles that you've encountered and uh, and the kind of challenges you faced? There's actually three. Right. For start, you know, like I underestimate that. The, the capital we're going to need to run a business. Right. For the second, I thought we could just become, you know, a B2C players. We just focus on one um, uh, distribution strategy and it would work. It doesn't work. Mm. Um, it needs both. And for the third, is we thought that the capacity or, you know, the insurance partner, we should not have any difficulty of finding one. But in hard market, it's extremely hard to find someone who'd be willing to lend us their balance sheet for on-demand and user-space insurance. Mm, yeah. So that's kind of three things that um, I thought, okay, you know what, it will be difficult, but I never thought it would be this difficult. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly, you know, like a lot of people, especially investors, they want us to focus on one distribution channel, but they say, it cannot be. Imagine if I'm trying to sell um, insurance to the public, and I try to do it through brokers. But broker will have a hard time to try to sell something that the customer doesn't understand. So immediately, if you want to go down the wholesaler route, you need retail's facing platform. And you need to build those retail, both retail and wholesale platform in order for customer to be comfortable and buy into the, your policy. Because otherwise, nobody knows who Tapley is. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, in, we are not Hiscock. Hiscocks, you know, like they um, they spend millions in building their brand. So everyone recognize them. If, you know, like uh, someone go to a broker and get Hiscock's policy, they would trust Hiscock. Yeah. But nobody yeah. would trust, you know, Tapley from day one. So we need to build our brand so that people recognize us. And suddenly you have, you know, like B2B and B2C. But the money that you need to build both you know, like distribution channel, it's going to be double and triple what you initially think that you're going to be spending. Mm-hmm. And especially now, it has never been harder to get customer to buy into your products. 
Yeah, yeah. So that is the you know dilemma, and a lot of VC they just want you to do one thing. Forget about doing one thing. You clearly, you know, if you have run your own business, you will understand this principle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what's you know? It's going to be your next question. Actually, is like the lessons you've learned from doing it because I, I'm sure you mean it's always the way, isn't it? You kind mm-hmm. of like you have a plan and then kind of quickly kind of evolve away from that plan, but. Um, what what would the what would be that you mean again? This is not just a this is not just a focused on on women perspective, but any any people out there that are looking to go into kind of entrepreneurship or maybe they've got an idea like you had. What 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 do you what do you think the the kind of the biggest like that that kind of piece of advice and that kind of lesson that you would you would give to someone about that. Is that is that it? You may may, may have been the one you just said. Make, make sure you've got um, lots of money. <laughs> um, to be honest, sometimes I get asked by people, you know, like what added value that um, entrepreneur or startup uh, brings. And I kind of pull because that question would only come from someone who hasn't run their own business. Because if you have run your own business, you would understand the gap of knowledge you know, between people who have been in corporate environment and who have run their own business. Because running your own business is like one of the best MBA that you can, you know, and best investment you're going to be able to uh, give yourself. Because every day is different. You are solving problems. You are building resilience. Every single skill for you to be able to run a business, you must have it. I'm talking about leadership, communications, you know, the ability to um, run teams, recruit, retrain, and, you know, like building products, get them off the ground, and the technology piece, everything. So you can see that, you know, like the value added is that you've got that kind of level of knowledge and all this um, experience of making our own mistakes that hopefully will save someone else's millions in making that. Because when start, you know, like if, it, if you're talking about first-time founder, they will go through exactly the same journey. They will be making a mistake left and right. But if you're partnering, you know, like a legacy uh, company or a legacy business with new business, you can combine them. You can stop um, you can amplify each other business and also stop um, each other from making certain mistakes and also collaborate, consolidate their um, you know, like, um, resources that would mm-hmm. allow them to compete with other people who are trying to get into the same space. So there's a lot of value in collaborate. So, like, kind of coming towards the end, what, what I'm always keen to find out a little bit about as well is uh, what's Janthana like away from uh, work? Like, what's uh, t- tell us a bit about the what you do to, to actually because you mean I can imagine a pretty stressful uh, job, quite full on. Uh, I'm sure being a founder is pretty much a 24 7, 365 day uh, a, a year job. But um, what do you do to kind of get away from work and take your mind off it? I am a film. Uh, junkie. I love watching movies and films. Um, right. So that's my, you know, kind of hobby, especially Chinese. <laughs> um, and I learned a great deal about Chinese culture. And even, you know, I started to understand the language now that I watch so much um, Chinese film. And that's, you know, like my hobby. But other than that, um, I like to be outdoor. So I do anything from, you know, like cycle, I go to Bikram yoga, um, and I I love extreme sports. 
Really? Okay. Yeah, Which ones? Um, I mean, I like ski. I like, you know, like water ski. Um, I climb. I'm a pretty good climber, to be honest. Um, anything that, you know, like require me to be putting my physical into test. I like yeah. that. Um, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and you mean, I uh, asked um, at the end of the podcast, I do a quick fire questions, which uh, I'll, I'll do in a second. Uh, you may have heard them if you've listened to them before. I've changed them around slightly since the last series. But three questions I always ask people as well. Um, the first one is, why, why do you love the InsureTech space? What is it you love about InsureTech? Because I feel that I can add most value. Yeah. yeah. The, my experience and what we have built is exactly what insurance industry is needed. And I feel valued because of all the award that we received. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great. The second one is, um, what, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? Doing what I loved. Having the flexibility and having the freedom to do what you loved. Yeah, great. Um, and then the final one is, uh, I always ask people, I've had some, some really random rep- responses to this one, but what's the, what's the one question I should have asked you, but I didn't? Uh, <laughs> I think you kind of cover the ground. I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes. I've asked everything. Okay, well, that's good. That's the best. I mean, that's the best of it. With, with you know with a question that you haven't quite covered yeah. <laughs> good cool well look, and then as i say just for a bit of fun i always ask uh, a bit of a quick fire round at the end so first thing that comes to your head um what's the one piece of technology that you couldn't live without i think it would be my mac pro <laughs> yeah yeah new new as well I mean, oh, oh, actually so. you know what um my phone iphone is probably more important yes yeah, if i yeah, have to choose between the phone and the uh macro i would choose the phone yeah i, I mean i left my uh, i left my phone some uh, like in my car and went uh, and went travel on the train the other day and i didn't have it for a day it, um, was, uh, it was a really weird experience yeah yeah i mean you think it would be that bad but it's yeah it's bad um which is the what brand or company do you really admire and why you see like i love google yeah i love you know, like this, um, their search engine. I love what they built. I mean, Google is everywhere, you know, and and they got so many kind of um, related business. So I like Google as a business. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I was talking to someone actually the other day. I remember when the internet first came about? There were so many different uh, search engines, and they've they've absolutely uh, kind of they've just nailed it. Yeah. Uh, I I can't do without it. You know, yeah. like if I ever need anything, Google would provide. I mean, I do yeah. Google search, and now you know when I went to Thailand, I can use Google search to speak. To, yeah. to it will spell. Uh, words in different languages, which is great, you know, like because my Thai is quite rusty sometimes. And when I'm trying to communicate with my family in Thailand, in Thais, it's very difficult for me to write because I don't know how to spell words. So I would just talk uh, in yeah. Thai and it would spell all the uh, text words for me, which is great. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's taken for granted a bit uh, what Google, the power of Google, really, isn't it? Um, Favourite business-related book? I haven't read book for quite some time, to be honest. I read uh, industry, like insurtech-related um, articles, but I don't read books. No. Not, okay. n- not since, you know, like I came out of um, university. Yeah. Oh, actually, okay. when, when I did my accountancy, that's when I had to read like very heavy um, 
textbook, but yeah, probably yeah. not the most enjoyable ones. <laughs> um, no, I do not like to read book because I don't have the the patience to okay. wait. You see, this is how it is. When I read, my eyes over there. I already finished the sentence, but my mind is, you know, kind of somewhere in between, and my heart. I just wanted to go even faster, so yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean because I'm exactly like that myself. I, I, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts and audio books, but uh, but yeah, reading. I, I mean, I, I normally get to the end of a page and, and I'm thinking about a million and one other things about the, other than what's on the page. Um, well, look, you'll definitely have one for the next question. Fa- favorite film uh, or TV series? You can have one of each if you want. Tough Actually, question, hmm, very difficult one. You know, I've got Chinese one, which nobody probably know. Um, the the more streamlined one, I like um, Game of Thrones. I like uh, The Lord of the Ring. I like that kind of film, you know, like more um, um, surreal, uh, yeah. ancient, and all these um, uh, mystical creatures. I like that. Yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones right there for me. Uh, the, uh, have you seen Last Kingdom? No, I have not. So, so Is that yeah, new? I mean, yeah, no, it's not actually that new. It's on Netflix, but um, uh, a girl in our office who works for me, she, uh, we're going totally off topic here, but she, she said yeah. that to me uh, that it was better than Game of Thrones. I don't think it is, really? but it's not, it's not, it's not far off. So yeah, highly yeah. recommend it. It is good. I'm halfway through it. Um, if if you weren't uh, leading a tech business, what would you be doing? I want to teach. Teach. Okay. Mm. What would you teach? Um, the stuff that they want teach you in school. Yeah, interesting. Yes, which is the um, the principle of life. Uh, how you actually um, define the value and how you embed that into your daily life so that it helps you be more efficient as a human being and be better as a human being. Amazing. It's like, you know, like kind of personal development type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds sounds good. And then the last one, um, who is your number one female role model? I have a few, to be honest, uh, growing Go, up. You can have all one. Um, but they are people that are very close to me. You know, my teacher, my mother, that type. Um, I've never really into... Um, kind of looking, I'm not into celebrity, for example, and for role model outside the industry. To be honest, by the time I even think about role model, I was already a role model myself, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, well, look, I think having, having, your, having your mother as a role model is a, is a pretty mm-hmm. good one. I think it sounds, sounds yeah. certainly sounds like uh, uh, from the, 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 the kind of uh, opportunity she gave you when you were, were younger, that's a pretty good one to yeah. have. So, um, well, look, that's the end. So, look, th- thank you. Thank you very much. For, uh, I know you're very busy. If people off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be some people that want to get in touch with you either about the business or about anything that you've spoken to today. Is, is LinkedIn the best place for people to get hold of you? Yes. Cool. Great. Well, look, you I mean, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Really interesting stuff there. Um, and uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, there's plenty more episodes coming up. So, uh, Tantana, thank you very much. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure we'll speak soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment and even better please share with your friends and colleagues if you'd like to connect with me you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash mark thomas and the number zero it would be great to hear from you 
Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it'd be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to catching up with you again next time.